From Creative Force, I'm Daniel Jester, and this is the e-commerce content creation podcast. My guest for this episode is Rob DiCatarino, who spent his career working in different types of post-production, from print and advertising to e-commerce. In our experience, post-production is not very well understood in most organizations, and we have a conversation to help try to demystify the process a little bit and give some ideas on how to smooth the transition from production to post. Post-production needs to be involved in the conversations all the way starting with pre-production because decisions are getting made, processes are being created, and without the retouchers being looped in and being part of the decision-making process and having a voice, wrong decisions can be made. This is a rich topic with a lot of nuance, but I think you'll find a useful jumping off point to help improve your post-production process in your own studio. I hope you enjoy the episode. This is the e-commerce content creation podcast. I am your host, Daniel Jester, coming to you from my studio in Southern California, where a pickup basketball game has just started steps outside my door. And that literally never happens until I sit down to record an episode of this show. (laughs) My guest on the show today is Rob DiCatarino of Square. Rob, welcome to the show. Hello, Daniel. Hello, everyone. Thank you. It's an honor. It's an honor to have you. We brought you on the show today to talk a little bit about demystifying post-production, really for stakeholders in the creative production process who don't have a clear understanding of what post-production means or actually looks like. And your background, you have extensive experience in both post-production for e-commerce at scale and other types of content, marketing, advertising, editorial, and that sort of thing. Why don't you take our listeners through your background so that we can kind of understand why you're the right guy to help us answer some of these questions? So in a nutshell, my career is retouching and retouching leadership roles. So I started out in print. Actually, I was at Scholastic Publishing and Martha Stewart. I was working on the print publications, so the magazines, the books, posters. And then I pivoted into e-commerce. And that type of retouching has its own skill set as well. So consistency, volume, it's at scale and efficiencies and all of those things. So vast experience and basically the two big channels through which we see a lot of content needs. I want to start off this episode by saying for some of our listeners, we want to help demystify post-production for people in an organization who maybe don't have a very clear understanding. My personal experience has been that post-production can feel it's just misunderstood. It's a complicated process. It's very time intensive. It's very technical while at the same time having sort of an artistic side to it. And so we're going to talk about some things that might be obvious to a retoucher or retouch manager or somebody who has that background. But I think it's necessary to help demystify post-production a little bit. And so what I've asked Rob to do to start us off for this conversation is basically define post-production. What does it mean in sort of an ideal studio situation? When does post-production actually begin And at what point should your post-production partners be involved in the process? So, Rob, why don't you kick us off? Step one in demystifying post-production, let's define what post-production actually means. So, if I'm being very literal, (laughs) post-production is anything that happens after the production. 
So you have a photo shoot, you wrap, and now it's post-production. So when people hear post-production, they might think retouching, Photoshop. And that's true, but there are also a lot of other behind-the-scenes, under-the-hood types of things that go along with it as well, such as very glamorous things like file naming. It's very important that after the shoot, the images get output with the correct file naming conventions for a variety of reasons. There's pixel dimensions, aspect ratios, cropping, baselines, height caps, outputting in the right color space. There's metadata tagging and keywording and all of those kinds of things that happen after the shoot wraps and oftentimes actually before the retouching even takes place. But that's all post-production. So this is one of the areas where I refer to it, and every place might have their own terminology, but this is really quality control. Because one of the first things that our post-production partners are doing is making sure that the assets are correct for what they're needed for. And this happens without even really needing to see what the image itself actually looks like. Like you mentioned, naming requirements, Do the assets meet technical requirements, meaning pixel minimums, cropping, all of those things? Are all of the assets that I expect to be here present and accounted for? All of these things are incredibly important QC steps. We haven't even necessarily opened Photoshop yet. There could also be very technical things as well, like focus stacking. Do we have all the focus stacks? Are they in the right folders that they need to be in and and, and all of those things? So all of this is like, again, just to reiterate, some of this is file management. All of this is stuff that are just like, okay, do we have what we were expecting to get? And does it meet the technical requirements that we have? Part of QC also can be some of the actual subjective and objective quality standards as it relates to the actual content of the image itself. So you might be looking for things like, is it in focus? Is it exposed well? Does the color appear to be correct? And that's before getting into subjective quality things, which in an ideal studio are handled at sort of an art director level. So we're talking about model expression, posing, styling, things like that. Ideally, before it goes into the QC step, somebody has made that decision on which is the right expression, which is the right pose. All of these things are before we get into retouching. But you're right, Rob, people hear post-production and they immediately think a retoucher who can take this image and Photoshop, 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 and now it's exactly what I needed. And they can do that very quickly and it's easy. And Correct. Yeah, there are misconceptions <laughs> for what post-production is and what retouchers do. Yes, Photoshop and retouching is 50% artistic and it's having that artistic eye and being creative, but it is 50% technical. There are those technical aspects and Oftentimes, it's up to the retoucher to catch things that have, you know, look, it's a creative process. There's so many people involved. It's at scale. It's at speed. And things are going to go wrong. I'm I'm not saying this to blame anyone or point fingers, but there's always a curveball. There's always things that go wrong by accident. So the retoucher oftentimes will open up an image and catch like, oh, this wasn't cropped correctly, or this was output too small. This was output in the wrong color space, or the wrong aspect ratio. If I were to retouch and upload this to our e site, it would not sit correctly with the other images. So 
retouching, there is that artistic aspect to it. You need a good eye and follow the art director's instructions, but there are those technical aspects that the retouchers are always having to be aware of and double check as well. For the purpose of this part of the conversation where we're sort of defining what's happening in post-production, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I do want to acknowledge that when it comes to the actual retouching part, there are dramatic differences between what a retoucher has time to do for e-com at scale and what they have time or resources to do when we're talking about editorial advertising, other types of content needs. So while yes, this definition works for post-production in general, your specific to the listener I'm directing this, what you do in your studio really dictates how much time is spent, how much effort is spent in each of these areas, because sometimes your concern is speed to web. And sometimes your concern is getting this image exactly right for our ad campaign. Moving on from like retouching, then you get into the things that happen. You know, now a retoucher has retouched the images. They've addressed any notes maybe that came from the photographer, from an art director. Their job doesn't end there, does it, Rob? We defined post-production. Post-production needs to be involved in the conversations all the way starting with pre-production, because decisions are getting made, processes are being created, and without the retouchers being looped in and being part of the decision-making process and having a voice, wrong decisions can be made so that by the time the shoot happens, it's finished, images get handed off to retouching, it's too late. The wrong decision was already made. The wrong approach was already taken. It's already baked into the images. And now the retouchers have to figure out how to undo it or how to fix it or to solve that problem. And that just takes more time. Time is money. So it's going to cost more. It's going to result in more frustration. It could also affect the quality of the images in the end result. So it's very important. It is so key to involve retouchers all the way at the very beginning because they will be able to provide a perspective and insight into things that nobody else can. That's a great segue into, you know, once we've defined the idea of post-production and sort of an ideal situation, you know, how do we set up for success? And I couldn't agree with you more, Rob, that your post-production partners need to be involved in the conversation from beginning to end. At the very least, it's helpful for if you're like a service provider studio for your post-production teams to have all of those technical requirements that we talked about earlier before the shoot even begins so that they know what they're waiting on. And there's a million other reasons to include post-production. Like you mentioned, they provide an important perspective because post-production And I'm not alone in thinking this. I've seen, you know, there's been people on LinkedIn who've shared this quite a bit. Post-production is an often thankless part of the production process because usually the best retouchers, the best post-production teams, you're sort of unaware that they're there because the images look great and everything works the way that it's supposed to. There's an entire team of people and an exhaustive process that gets you from image capture to that state. And a lot of times they're invisible to the end user, right? One of the parts of the post-production process that I felt like in the past, in my experience, has been a weak point that can be kind of difficult to build a good process around sometimes is that after capture handoff. And this is especially true when you're working very, very quickly and it's kind of hard to slow down to the pace that you need to to make sure that things are being handed off well. But 
basically what I'm talking about is taking those assets, they've been captured, getting them into the post-production workflow along with vital, relevant information to the post-production teams. Rob, what do you think are some of the things that we can do to help smooth that handoff process from onset into post-production to make sure that our post-production partners have the right information and the right context to do their jobs faster and without a lot of having to investigate things on the back end? This might sound like common sense, but there definitely needs to be a process in place. I mean, that's just step one. You have to have a process in place, ideally with a tool or a platform in place that handles all of the aspects of the handoff. So you can have a process in place where you have a server, you have I don't know, like a a chat app or email. And it's like all of these separate tools. And it's like, okay, the photographer output the images. Now they're on the server. Are they in the right folder on the server? Hopefully. Are they named correctly? Hopefully. Were they the correct selects? Hopefully. (laughs) And then the photographer emails the retoucher. Hopefully the photographer had a chance to do that and they emailed the right person and the retoucher received, you know, so there's like... That is a process that can be put in place, but there's a lot of room for error in that kind of process. Ideally, you want a platform in place that handles all of those things. So the photographer is outputting and uploading to a dam or a tool, like a platform that will check and see are the files named correctly? Are the, you know, then the art director can go in and make the selects. So you know you're getting the correct selects. And then move them on to the next stage. The retoucher gets alerted. Here's my selects. Here's the notes that are in there. And it just automates that part of the process. And also, you know that all the metadata is traveling with the photos and the markups and like it's all self-contained in one system. And it just leaves so much less room for error because that's the big thing, Daniel, is the mistakes, and again, not judging, not pointing fingers, but at that scale, at that volume, at that speed, that alone leaves more room for error. So when you can have a self-contained system in place that's handling those things, it just strips away all of that margin for error, and it just makes it a much more smooth, seamless process. I want to talk with you a little bit, Rob, on helping set expectations for external or adjacent stakeholders in the post-production process. And this will admittedly have less to do with e-com at scale. I feel like most places, the mission of post-production is pretty clear in terms of how much time you have and what the tasks are. But it certainly comes up for service provider studios shooting e-commerce product photography for a client that have some asks around post-production and Photoshop that can be pretty aggressive. It seems to me that setting expectations on like editorial work and things like that can relieve a lot of potential heartache on your post-production teams and on all of the teams involved in the process. Is like we need to understand that there are dramatically different timeframes for how long certain types of things take in post-production, right? So like making some image adjustments, contrast, things like that, you know, non like pixel level work is relatively quick depending on the quality of the input, which you know I wanted to mention this earlier, but just like everything else, just like database administration, all of this is dependent on getting good quality inputs to get the best possible output. But that's an aside. Setting the proper expectations and understanding that some things can happen quite quickly in post-production and some things 
could take days sometimes on a single image. In your experience, Rob, how important is it to make sure that you have those expectations set? And how can we do that effectively with our stakeholders? Having been on both the internal side and also the external creative partner side, working with clients, either way, it is so important for everyone to understand and have expectations fully managed when it comes to retouching. I've been in many situations where a client comes to me and wants editorial retouching, you know, that's so hard to price. It's so dependent on the art directors and the creative. And But I understand, what, right, we have to work together. We have to come up with a price. So here's an hourly rate based on this discovery that we've done together and, and information gathering and how many rounds you want it to go into and, and that type of thing. Everybody has to understand that up front, you know, we try to manage the expectations as best as possible, but there are guardrails that are put in place. Like, okay, we're talking about spending X amount of time. We're talking about going into X amount of rounds. If it goes beyond that, then obviously it's a completely different expectation. This goes back to the earlier conversation that we had around at what point should post-production be involved in the creative process. And we both agree, Rob, and I'm a firm believer in this, especially for like a service provider type studio who services uh, various clients, is having post-production involved because that does help set that expectation. And it's also important to deliver that message around rounds of review. And I know that there are studios out there who listen to this podcast who are going to really commiserate with this idea of rounds of review, because it's not something that I think is well understood by even clients who are getting a lot of work produced by some of their creative partners. And it's important, and I want to throw this out there and I'll let you elaborate a little bit on it, Rob, that we set an expectation up front, like you said, around pricing Maybe we set an expectation on how many rounds. And I think also like what happens during those rounds of review. And it's sort of like you work on an image and it's kind of like the idea of like building a house and you do all of the stuff, you make all these decisions. And now it's time to say like, okay, last thing we need to think about is like, what color do you want these walls painted? And then you come back and you say like, you know what? I know that I said that I wanted metal studs in those walls, but I think I'd prefer wood instead. <laughs> And coming back with like structural things, things that are going to change the actual structure of the way that the final image was produced, it's just too late in the process to come back to some of those things. And it's creating an incredible amount of work for the teams that are involved. So that's kind of what we want to do with this episode is even from the service provider side of things, like if you're out there and you're working with a studio and post-production and the retouching process has been a challenging part of that for you and your studio that you've been working with. Some of that is just you have to really understand that there is a process to it. There's a structural process to it as well, setting up an image to retouch it. All of those things, if we talk about them up front, we can all have a better and smoother post-production process. I do like the house analogy because, again, if I can compare it to, let's say, the actual shoot itself, during pre-production we're talking about what lighting, what gear, what equipment, what setup. Do we need a seamless? Is it on location? Tripods, everything. And if you agree to, let's say, a certain lighting setup, well, then you don't go on set the day of the shoot and say, oh, actually, I want this completely other lighting setup. It's like, well, but we can't. <laughs> we physically can't do that because right. we brought the equipment you said to bring. So just like with retouching, 
it's the same thing. It's like, okay, you asked us to do these things to the photo to achieve a certain result. And then after the retoucher did that, it's like, oh, actually, now I want the model over here instead. And now I want this. And it's like, well, I mean, we could, it's retouching. We could theoretically do anything, but we'll have to rework the whole image from scratch. And do you have the time for that? And do you have the budget for that? I'd like to take the last couple of minutes here and just throw out some kind of quick hit tips from you. And then I have a couple that I'd like to share from like a sort of a photography perspective. And I'll kick it off really quick. But the idea is like, let's just talk to whomever needs to be hearing this tip to help ease the process of post-production. So I'm going to kick it off really quick. And my quick tip is for all of the photographers out there, uh, one of my overarching philosophies on being successful in a photo studio is around being aware of the work you're creating for other people. And whenever you can, minimizing that work when possible. And so the way that this sort of manifests itself in the relationship between photographer and retoucher is always be thinking about, is this decision that I'm making going to negatively impact or slow down somebody downstream from me, such as retouch? And if it's absolutely necessary to make this decision, that I need to be effective at communicating the why behind that so that my retouch partners don't feel like I'm just making decisions that make their jobs more difficult. So my quick tip is, Always be aware of the work that you potentially are creating for people downstream from you. And when it's necessary to create extra work, communicate the reason behind it. I agree. That's excellent advice, Daniel. I'll also add the stronger your creative vision can be and the stronger the technical aspects of the photography can be. Again, that just helps set up the shoot and the retouching for success. Another thing that I've experienced throughout my career is over-promising, but then under-resourcing. So especially when I was on the creative partner side, working with um, external clients. And yes, of course, we want to be successful. We want to attract and retain new clients. But over-promising isn't going to help anybody. (laughs) It just sets things up for failure. So just to be realistic. And then when we do partner with clients, it's very exciting. We have these big, awesome projects and it's so cool. But just to not under-resource. Rob, I'd never quite heard it put that way, but that really resonates with me. The idea of over-promising and under-resourcing that that kind of thing can happen all the time. And in creative production, it feels like it tends to impact post-production. And I 100% will admit that I've been guilty of that, that in a conversation with a potential client agreeing to do something that I had no idea what the impact would be on post-production and the amount of work that it would involve. There's so much that we can do given the resources of time and money. But if you're going to make the promise, you got to be willing to put the resources into it. Rob, thank you so much for your time and having this conversation with us. We covered quite a bit of ground, and I know that there's a lot more that we could end up talking about. And I sincerely hope to you, the listeners, that there is some, at least a little bit of sort of the swirling mists of post-production start to firm up into something that resembles a process that you can kind of understand. But at the end of the day, I think the takeaway is that post-production, just like onset production, is a process. There are parameters that can operate within. There are strengths. There are weaknesses. And you really need to take the time to kind of understand and figure out how to play to the strengths, how to fill in the gaps of the weaknesses. And Rob, I can't wait to have you back on the show to kind of 
dig into some more of these things. Do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners before we wrap up this episode? Yes. A, (laughs) thank you so much, Daniel, for inviting me to be a guest. Again, it's an honor and I appreciate everyone listening. Again, all I ask, (laughs) all I ask is that everyone remember that there's all of these, all of these very technical things that are going through the retoucher's mind when they open up the image and are working on your image, in addition to the artistic and creative aspects as well, and all the markups. And Mm. we joke around like, oh, you get to play in Photoshop, but it is a very serious technical role. And in fact, I argue that it's such an important role that those rare instances when an unretouched e-com image accidentally makes its way to the live website, look at how much panic it causes within the company. <laughs> that's how important the retouching is. Yeah, that's if actually, it were an important <laughs> That's a great way to illustrate that point. Is uh, here, here's an unretouched e-commerce image. Let's put that on the site and see who starts to panic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so again, Daniel, thank you so much. And uh, I really appreciate it. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to Rob for his time. If you have feedback for us or want to pitch a guest or topic idea for the show, email us at podcast at creativeforce.io. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Daniel T. Jester. The show is produced by Creative Force, edited by Calvin Lands. Special thanks to Sean O'Meara and our guest, Rob DiCaterino. I'm your host, Daniel Jester. Until next time, friends. <laughs>